The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today, I'm going to be talking about helping children through play therapy with Dr. Elizabeth Fong. Elizabeth is a licensed clinical psychologist with over 16 years' experience. She's currently in private practice in Fairfax, Virginia. She specializes in play therapy, couples, and family counseling. She also enjoys working with gifted learners. She founded Elite Counseling and Consulting LLC in 2009 and works from a strength-based approach to helping clients deal with life's challenges. Her educational and professional background in child development, family psychology, and play therapy, along with her personal experience as a wife and partner in a 21-year marriage and mother to four children, influences how she works. She offers integrated, client-focused, and practical interventions. Life challenges and changes are looked upon as continued opportunities for growth. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you, Virginia. It's really great to have you here. It's great to finally get a chance to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it took us a while to work this out. Yeah, I'm glad we finally made the connection. Yes. So I'm going to ask the question that I hear most from parents I work with. What are you talking about, play therapy? How can you do therapy with a three-year-old child? (laughs) What's going on here? All right. So when you work with young children, think about it. They don't actually have um, all the words to express their thoughts and feelings and their experience. So play is something that crosses um, international and cultural boundaries. Every child plays in some way or another. So play is a child's way of communicating. So what we do in play therapy is a child uses toys as words, and his play and interactions with the therapist as his uh, process or language to communicate what is troubling him. And I'm going to use the word him. It could be a her, too, so interchangeably. Um, these, may be, like, these events may be like past or current issues related to challenges that are uh, challenges to healthy development. So in play therapy, the child has an opportunity to express thoughts and feelings related to those issues, um, and in conjunction with the therapist, tries to figure out what's going on and then works on strengthening coping skills to manage his emotions um, and more adaptively, in a more adaptive way, so it doesn't start affecting um, negatively other areas such as school um, and, and friendships and et cetera. 
So children in play therapy develop a positive relationship with their therapist and is offered a safe and consistent place to express their thoughts and emotions, obtain feedback and reinforcement. They gain some insight. They engage in more adaptive behaviors. They practice those in play therapies so that they can hopefully generalize it to resolve their difficulties um, so that can t- continue to thrive cognitively and emotionally and continue to grow. Um, so that's, that's what's going on. Does that seem clear? Um, it's not clear yet. I think it works better if you can give me a couple of specific examples. Okay. Um, you know, what do you, what do you see a child do and how does that help you understand something about the child? And then how do you, how do you make that work to the child's benefit? So let's say, let's say, um, I see a child. Let's say a child is in a car accident and comes in to see me. Um, and all these are, I'll just say they're fictitious. Anytime I use a name, it's not really identifying. I'm just kind of pulling from some of my clientele over the years to, to form a, a, a picture of what's going on. So mm-hmm. a two-year-old child who's been um, in a car accident may communicate his experience by, let's say, picking out some cars in my playroom and banging them together repeatedly, imitating sounds of an ambulance or police sirens while, let's say, sucking on his thumb or holding on to a stuffed bear. So when you think about that in terms of development, a two-year-old experiences things through sounds, through taste, through smell, um, all the very, and touch. So you would think that developmentally how he's experienced it is being played out here. On the other hand, let's say I see it a seven-year-old child um, who may experience the same thing but chooses some puppets and assigns me to a role and himself to a different role to do a puppet story that starts with, let's say, once upon a time there was a puppy who went outside with his mommy dog to find some food But something happened, and another mean dog started fighting, so they couldn't get to the food. But then a police bear came and used her powers to save the dog and her puppy so they can get to the food, and they live happily ever after. And then that same, so we can start out that way, and then that same uh, seven-year-old in another session might actually use um, the paint and uh, finger paint or something that I offer in the playroom and paint a visual of how he perceived the car accident in colors and all that, and be able to verbally share with me somewhat about what happened. We were going to the grocery store with Mommy, and all of a sudden a car bumped into us. So sequentially, the more and more a child's able to sequence his experience and have me there to help him verbalize what is not available in terms of feelings and thoughts and to have someone hear his story, the better they are emotionally able to process what's going on and, and kind of come out of that, that, uh, that tragedy. I see. Yeah. That makes it a lot more concrete for me. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So you mentioned two-year-olds and seven-year-olds. What's the age range of kids that you work with? Well, I, I've seen them as young as 
too, and I've actually worked with, you know, some children that I've seen when they're in grade school and they would come grow up and they're teens now who are now young adults just leaving for college. Now, I don't necessarily see them for the whole period of time, but based on my availability, they might come back to me when they have teen issues that they're just trying to understand and get through. So they can come, depending on how old they are and what they're dealing with at that time, that developmental stage, the issues may be different. But what I offer is the same. It's a safe environment in which to process um, what they're going through, and then together we try to figure out how to best resolve it. Okay. Um, So what... What are the kinds of problems that play therapy helps with? You know, we've mentioned car accidents. Uh, well, so, so that's a kind of something that's not within the realm of what happens on a daily basis. It's, it's, it's different. It's traumatic. Um, depending on how badly the accident is, it, it could alter their functioning. Play therapy has been used for a lot of things, a variety of problems, including... Um, anxiety, depression, ADHD, autism, and other pervasive developmental disorders. Then there's some children who come in with academic struggles, uh, social-emotional issues, and then they play it out in contact problems because they act out their anger. Um, It's also been helpful in dealing with grief and loss, divorce, trauma, um, abuse. These problems can be related to a lot of um, things, including family stressors, um, school functioning, um, as I mentioned, abuse or domestic violence, and any other issues that the child, the child finds difficult to understand and cope with. So what play therapy does, is it, it helps the children develop more successful adaptive coping strategies for things that are not within the realms of what they are. They've surpassed what they've, they've been able to uh, cope with. So they mm-hmm. need a little help along the way. Okay. Um, is play therapy, not, not specifically from you, but in general, is play therapy available for low-income families? Um, that, yes. Um, there are many of our, um, our um, uh, colleagues, my colleagues, who will do actually a little bit of pro bono work. Um, We allot a little bit of our practice to that. There are also agencies um, that that have provide training, like the county. Um, I know that we live in Fairfax County, and uh, Fairfax County has a mental health institution that kind of helps with that, and they have a family uh, unit. Uh, that provides family services. So, you know, a lot of people go through insurance, um, but there is availability out there for for some some uh, free services as well. Okay, um, I think we have time for in this segment for this. Let's get really specific. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you the truth. I separated and got divorced when I had a couple of children who were very young. One of them was a boy. When he was about four or five years old, I think probably just four, um, all of a sudden, 
out of the blue with no precursor to say that this was going to happen, he kicked one of the neighborhood kids in the balls. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say I had brought him to a wonderful play therapist. What might happen in the therapist's office? Um, you know, how would you work with the child? How would you help me figure out how to help him? Okay. So a four- and five-year-old um, right now, if you look at brain development at this age um, and, and what he's supposed to be doing, um, he's working on impulse control. Um, the brain at this age is, is, you know, the frontal lobe's developing, and um, it's, it's trying to reach its adult size and what it's supposed to do. So lots of things are improving. Um, and they're supposed to work on problem solving. And your son, who's four and five at this age, says, I'm angry. When I get angry, I'm going to um, act in an angry way, which is, you know, in this situation, <laughs> kick some other kid. Um, but what he what he does, what he knows is that that's how then can he learn to express his anger with words? So how can we transition him from going from actively being angry, things that behaviors that could get him into trouble, and then being able to express but have a safe outlet for those feelings? Um, and that's when play therapy comes in. It puts play therapy is a way that we put a boundary around when it's when it's acceptable to express those feelings. So your son who comes in to my office gets introduced to the playroom and with your permission I actually meet with the with the parents first um, and I explain the whole process and then um, I usually you know, allow the parents to take a picture of my playroom as well as myself if they wanted to um, and share it with their their, their child in explaining um, the, what, the type of doctor I am. I'm a play doctor and not one that gives shots because often kids can get more anxious about that. So when they come in, um, they're already prepared in terms of looking at it's not unusual for them to find toys, puppets, and all that in my playroom. And I introduce the playroom to them as this is a place um, where where you can say anything you want and you can do almost anything you want. And if there's something that you can't do, I'll let you know. So right away, I've established both an introduction of what what this place is and means for this four-year-old and what it will not mean. It's not a place where, you know, I don't draw the limitations right away because uh, it's supposed to be this free place where he's learning. It's like a, I just treat the playroom as a, a research laboratory in which they test out environments and then, uh, and then I kind of tailor it to that specific child. Um, for him, he may come in, and I've actually thought about a, a child while you're while you're um, telling me that story. You know, I had a child who came in, and 
when he first came in and met me for the first time, knocked everything on, on my, off my shelf. And with that child, the patience that was necessary every session to, to teach him how to put things back, how to, th- how to reflect to him that you do that when you get angry, but not to be punitive about it, but be directive in terms of when you can express all you want in here, but at the end of the session, we work on putting things away. And symbolically, putting things away is, is a way of saying, hey, you can have lots going on in your life, but you've got to recompose. And we do that with, the adult, with adults too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. adults, in a way, have lots and lots going on, lots of stressors, but somehow we have to manage to kind of put things away and find outlets in which to express it, such as our friends, um, a therapist, whatever, to express our anger, our feelings, and everything appropriately um, because you wouldn't necessarily do it at work. And just by the same token, you wouldn't be doing a four-year-old child. What we're trying to generalize is you can do it here. This is a safe place. At school, there are other different requirements. So there's play, and then there's the talking part of my my therapy, too. At the end, I kind of try to wrap things up, and hopefully it, it generalizes out into the school and home environment. And I work with the parents, too. Um, how I work in, with the parents is I, I bring them in, depending on what the issues are, to come up with um, positive reinforcement um, techniques, um, systems in which they can use at home, um, you know, using kind of token and rewards and all that um, to reinforce those positive behaviors. All right. It's time for us to take a break. I'm talking with Dr. Elizabeth Fong, and when we come back from the break, I'm going to make this harder by asking her how she would deal with parents like my ex-husband and me at that stage of our lives. (laughs) We'll be back in a moment. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions. Especially in cases of divorce, far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. 
When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family mediation. Save time, save money, and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, talking with Dr. Elizabeth Fong today on Family Matters. Before the break, we were talking about my four-year-old son, who was very angry when his dad and I separated. Now I'm going to ask Dr. Fong how she would work with my ex-husband and me. We're going to have to assume that initially my ex-husband might be reluctant to get involved at all because, you know, like um, a lot of people, he's uh, wary of a therapeutic environment um, possibly I would have brought my son in and maybe my ex-husband would not have wanted to come with me to the Get Acquainted session and the beginning of therapy. So we both know our son is angry. I at least know he's very anxious. I don't know whether my ex-husband wanted to acknowledge that. Um, how do you help us? <laughs> Yeah. So I, you know, as, as a, as a rule, I um, respect, I usually, I I respect both parents and what they bring um, in terms of helping me understand the child and what the child is figuring out. Um, Here, we're putting your son as the the common thread between you um, and your ex-husband. and Virginia, when when you and you know your ex husband trying to deal with this, I'm sure you each have your own perspective about what's going on with your son. Um, often, you know, sometimes it's it's not uncommon to find one parent that feels the child doesn't really need therapy, uh, while another parent goes, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get that um, consult anyways and see what's going on. A child who's getting into trouble because he's kicking another child, it, it's a good idea. Um, and I would, first and foremost, um, after talking with you and all that, at least, at, at minimum, um, I would try to reach out to your ex-husband and get his perspective on what's going on. Um, typically, I have... I myself have not had issues with um, getting the other parent to come in, mm-hmm. um, especially when I'm I'm saying that it is your common thread is the child and what's in the best interest of of how that child how your son will cope um, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to separate the adult stuff and the child stuff is where we work at first. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, uh, sometimes emotions are, are hard to do, but I, I try to gu- provide guidance in that as best as I can. Um, 
So my initial meeting, it's ideal that I meet with those parents, um, but if the other parent is not able to or unwilling to come and it's in the best interest of the child that I start working with him right away, then I go ahead and make phone contact um, with the other parent, um, respecting his right as a parent to provide all that, uh, that perspective. And it helps me as well um, in terms of working with that child. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so then what would you advise me to do? I've got a child who's anxious and angry and with good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he used to have two parents who both loved him and lived in the same house with him. Now he's got parents who live an hour apart from each other. So he's with only one at a time and he's very distressed in transition times. Um you know, he gets in the car to go off with my husband for the weekend, and he's crying, crying, crying. And my now ex-husband, um, <laughs> you know, he um, his tendency is just to deny negative emotions. So he tells me that, you know, practically as soon as they were outside of my, uh, could no longer see my house, the boy stopped crying. My other son is in the car with them. He says the crying went on for half an hour. <laughs> um, how do you help me with that? What, can, what in the world can I possibly do for this poor boy? Uh, recognizing for a four-year-old that change, this change is going to be hard on him. And, um, you know, I, I first would recommend that you and your husband, um, your ex-husband, um, get uh, some sort of co-parenting class together in terms of determining what you're going to set as um, something that's stable. Because often children in a, in a, in a time of instability um, and, and change like this, they're looking for things that they know. So very concrete, some very concrete things is to send something from one household that's the same to another. So it's Something of comfort for a four and five year old? Is it a, a teddy bear? Is it a game? Is it a picture of you? Um, so, things that are very, you know, concrete in terms of what he can use as a, um, a, a way to uh, provide stability. Um, and then getting together as parents to really find a consistent or as consistent of a schedule as possible, there is a lot of adjustment for your son uh, that he had to make because of all of a sudden, everything is turned upside down, um, and it will take time to stabilize. Um, the other thing is when children get angry, when they express things, you are the best parent by listening to their emotions, negative or positive. But in negative emotions, sometimes it's even harder for a parent to deal with because we all want our, our children to be happy. But children can't be made to be happy if, they're, if the situation warrant, warrants them, honestly, to feel sad, to feel frustrated, or to feel angry. So by listening and by providing that, that 
safety where when they feel bad, they can get a hug. Um, if they have a bear that they can, can, can hug and make them feel better, if they have a favorite sport or activity to do, as, such as, you know, your son who kind of, you know, kicked, because he's got all that vamped up frustration, um, you know, if he, if you find him doing that, you're like, you know what, let's, I'm, I'm seeing that you're getting a little bit frustrated. Why don't we just kind of take a break? from homework, whatever he's doing, and go out and kick a ball with him. So I find that in, those, in that age, the gross motor skills activities can kind of help vent out a lot of that frustration. So it, the things are happening around him, your divorce, your separation, being in two different households, those are all things that he's going to adjust to. And um, as parents, we have to be patient while they're trying to work through it. Mm-hmm. And each okay, so, child is very different in how they handle it. Some yeah. children kind of kick people and they're angry and they throw things. You know, other kids, their anger is turned into sadness where, you know, they withdraw. They don't want to be with friends. So it just depends on that particular child. Well, I'm happy to say that in this case, I'm not going to say my son's name on the radio, but that was a fairly isolated incident. Uh, he he didn't strike out at playmates or assault his parents in oh, general. That's great to hear. <laughs> um, but he, he was very distressed for a very long time. I want to highlight a couple of the things that you said because I, I work with a lot of parents who are going through exactly this transition with their kids. Mm-hmm. And one was predictability. Mm-hmm. You know, my ex and I did do that. We had a routine and, and we knew which weekends the kids were going to go stay with my ex and their other relatives um, who were very nearby. Um, so they could know this is when I'm going to see dad. This is when I'm going to be with mom. Some parents in the middle of separation and divorce don't get that. And it's mm-hmm. really distressing for the kids that they don't even know when they're going to see daddy again. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to stress that one. Well, and I think I think it's, a, it's the same thing as that. I, I do find that, too, that, you know, life gets away from us and we don't, think that that's very important to a child, but a child who has um, something not in the realm of everyday happening, such as a divorce or a trauma happening, they're looking for that stability and the consistency and that predictability because those are the things that are going to help anchor them um, and anchor the anchor them so that they can kind of handle other things that might come along the way mm-hmm. that they have to deal with. So, um, yeah, it is, it is very important. And sometimes I, I, I find it really helpful for younger children to make it visual. Um, so to have a schedule that they can kind of cross off or color in um, in terms of when they're going to be at dad's or mom's um, or have mom and dad's... Um, uh, blocks or days be different colors. So mm-hmm. that's also something very concrete and tangible so that they can kind of carry it around or, you know, anything like that that can give them a visual thing that they can do themselves in terms of coloring it in makes, it an, it makes them an active participant and puts them in control. 
Um, okay. when, when things like this, like your, your, for, your son, things were happening around him that was beyond his control. So as much control as you can put, give the child and choice, um, they're going to they're gonna feel more equipped um, to, to handle those situations. And in play therapy, the child is afforded a lot of leeway and a lot of control in terms of choices of activities and issues they choose to work on. Okay. I want to mention a couple other things that you named that are helpful to the child. One is if uh, the child has a, t- a favorite teddy bear or something else that's a source of comfort, let that toy travel back and forth with the child. Yes. That you know seems like sort of an obvious thing, but I'm not sure whether we thought about it at the time. Mm-hmm. And the second thing you mentioned was... I I guess I'm lumping two pieces together, Um, listening, you know, giving the child space to be angry or sad or however they are, and being patient, being having the expectation that this is a difficult time, but we are going to get through this and we're all going to come out okay. Yeah, the the biggest mistake that I I hear parents make a lot is, um, you know, sometimes I'll... uh, I think we expect our kids to be big people when they're dealing with emotions. So, what kind of people? Uh, big people, like big grown people. up adults. Okay. Yeah, big people, and they're just learning how to handle those emotions. And sometimes, as adults, we're figuring, we're still trying to figuring that out, aren't we? So, you know, some the, the biggest mistake sometimes I hear, and it is that you know, I'll be at the grocery store. And a child be upset and about something and cry, and and they'll say, "You you stop crying. You're you're a big boy. Be a big boy. Stop crying." And that to me just makes the child cry more <laughs> because because a child's crying has to be his own. Um, you have to teach him how to control uh, to have his own control over it. Same way as anger. Sometimes I'll hear a parent go, stop, stop screaming or stop yelling at me, but meanwhile, they're the ones who are actually raising their voice or screaming. So what they're saying and what they're, they're modeling is completely different, you know, is in conflict with each other. And for a child, they're going to look at what they're modeling. Um, children observe and they learn that way. So in terms of how they handle emotions, that's, that's the way children learn, is how do you, as a parent, handle your emotions? Um, if they're seeing that you and your husband, while going through this process, has a lot of conflicts in front of them, um, are saying words that we're also teaching them how to deal with things in the long run when you, don't, when you say, well, I no longer want to be with this person. Um, how are you how are the parents themselves dealing with their conflict? It's mm-hmm. all a learning like, experience for the child. Mm-hmm. So every, yeah, that's, everything that's that they an go through is a learning experience. Yeah, that's an important one. And, and we are asking a lot of parents. I remember that phase in my life very well. And I was as anxious as my son was. I was feeling as helpless as he was feeling. 
The only difference was that I was sure that life was going to be better for him and, you know, the other kids and for me if we divorced. Definitely living in separate houses was going to make life better in the long run. And he was too little to be able to hold that thought of, in the long run, this will be better. And Virginia, I am certain that um, because what you were feeling, that you were feeling this is the best that you could do for you and for your family and for your son, that somehow, somewhere in there, he, you conveyed that. So even when he was feeling uncertain and angry about it, you, you provided the certainty um, that this, is, this was the way that it needed to go. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we have to be mindful as parents of our own anxiety and our own worries and how much of that is kind of spreading us thin so that we, you know, it, it's a lot to go through for any parent who is going through this. But for a child to hear that it's going to be okay, it's not his fault that this is happening, Mommy and Daddy will be here, and we will be here even if you're, you know, if, if you're mad, it's okay. Um, we will work through it together. Um, they just want you to know that you each are going to be here, there for him individually. Right. Okay, we're going to take another break, and who knows what Dr. Elizabeth Fong and I will be talking about <laughs> when we come back. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, Visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Dr. Elizabeth Fong, a clinical psychologist who works with lots of kids and families, uh, is talking with me today on Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, and we talked much more than I expected to about one of my children's experiences during the time when I was separating and figuring out how to get divorced and how to cope in the meantime, in the transition time. So I guess I want to reassure listeners that my son and the kids in general got through that phase of our life and really were better off, whether they knew it or not, (laughs) they really were better off. Uh, with their dad and me being in separate houses. Um, he remarried. They had a great stepmom. Um, you know, so that phase of life passed. Things settled down. They got, you know, the, <laughs> the poor kid got to deal with new issues when he was a teenager. But we're not going to go into that here. <laughs> um Okay, so uh, maybe we want to get away from separation and divorce for a while, and I just want to ask, you know, what 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 are the well? We've mentioned car accidents, traumatic experiences, child abuse. You know, you've mentioned those. What are the clues a parent might notice um, in in a situation that's maybe less extreme? What what might a parent see a child do that would tell them? Uh, this is, you know, this is a problem. Maybe I need to talk, take this child to a therapist. So I, I think that, you know, as I mentioned, each child's reaction to any life event or situation um, is, it may vary. Their emotions and how they respond to it may vary. And I think, you know, I'm a great believer in that uh, typically parents and for for simplicity, I'll just say parents to include parental figures and any primary caregivers and all that, they know their child's needs best and how much uh, the behaviors or the emotions deviate from what that child normally is like. Um, so I would say to parents, like, trust your instincts and feelings and reach out in collaboration with those who are in most contact with your child, such as, you know, extended family, teachers, or coaches, and to get any feedback for concerns they may have. So you know, you know best if your child is growing healthy and happy, and if your child seems pervasively sad or anxious or worried, like depressed or frustrated or angry, then therapy at that time may be beneficial. Um, Let's say if the child is engaging in behaviors that are not a fit with his age or causes some dysfunctional um, or hardship, um, that like, like a preschooler who bites and then when he doesn't get a toys he wants, or an eight-year-old who talks at home to family but then doesn't talk to teachers or peers at school, or let's say a 10-year-old who repeatedly says, I hate myself because I can't do anything. Well, then therapy along with other resources may be needed, and it, it, it's helpful to look at what's within the normal of developmental behaviors at certain ages, and the best way we can check for those is sometimes with people who work with children all the time, and your child's pediatrician or teacher is a good idea, um, and they work with children around that age daily, so they, need, they know if like an issue or a certain behavior 
um, needs um, attention. So mm-hmm. does that seem to kind of go in line with what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. So let's say, you know, you have a child who uh, comes to you because of difficulties making the age-appropriate adjustment at some developmental stage. Mm-hmm. How long does a therapy session last and how many weeks or months does a child typically stay in therapy? Well, I, you know, play therapies um, can last anywhere depending on age between 30 minutes to 50 minutes. Um, you know, younger ages, probably 30 minutes. And, and depending on whether we have to meet with the parents and whether we pull parents in for the part of the session to discuss some of the issues that might have happened that week. Um, so they're usually held weekly. Um, and sometimes gradually, some of my patients will do well with every other week. Um, and according to research, I think, uh, an average about 20 play therapy sessions will, will, you know, is, is what it takes to resolve some issues. But then again, it varies based on the child himself, the family, the problem for which he's being referred for treatment with, with often more serious problems taking longer because mm-hmm. what we're working with is that we work through that serious issue and then we work at how... Um, to equip that child um, for other minor issues that may surround because of that. So we take care of some of the symptoms, and then we, we, we move on from that to, to make that. So that, that number is, is the average. It, mm-hmm. could, it could be four sessions. Um, it could be, you know, two years' worth of therapy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Let's take another example. Tell me what you might try with a child who is consistently the victim of bullying behavior. You know, for whatever reason, I don't even know how kids pick who they're going to pick on. Um, But this has been going on, you know, since preschool through, you know, seventh grade. Um, on the sports team, on the bus, in the classroom, in the after-school care situation. This kid is the one who always gets picked on. How do you help that child? So, so in terms of where, the, um, where we work with a child like that is um, a child like that coming in my office needs a lot of affirmation that no one deserves to be picked on like that, that that essentially they are a good person and to recognize and validate what's good about him. So all that self-esteem needs to be built up. Then um, very practical things to practice is that after I develop a, a very trusting and working relationship um, with that child, I can now then move on to kind of more teachable moments or coaching, coaching in a way on how to deal in those situations. And sometimes children have a lot, a lot of easier time to practice the skills they learn, such as how, how to talk in a situation of standing up themselves, how to practice um, your voice. So when you're saying no, it's not no, um, and 
you know, not, not with, uh, with a low voice, but how to say no so that someone will listen, um, who to go to should you need help, and really to um, practice those things, whether we use it in a puppet show um, that, that the child creates or you know, not, whether we use sand or art to depict it. Um, some way in allowing the child to find their voice and to demonstrate and model for them what that voice might feel like. And sometimes the least threatening way is first through play, through objects, through doing a puppet show, and then, you know, moving it towards as we progress through therapy, how to do concretely do it um, and practice it outside. And then working with parents to kind of reinforce that when they are indeed doing it and practicing those skills outside. Um, Mm -hmm. But over time, what it does is it's kind of a a place where the more the more you teach and the more success they have with it, the more they do it. Uh, Just Mm -hmm. like any any kind of skill, um, the skill of defending yourself, defending your turf, um, putting boundaries um, around what others can do to you and what they can't do, and nobody can hurt you without your permission. Nobody can know you're giving them permission to do that, and and now you're going to take that away. You're going to take all that back, and the, and to to have to empower them um, with the voice and the expression and the words that's necessary to make all that bullying go away. Mm-hmm. So it, it's about repetition. It's about feeling competent. Um, okay. And to have that child feel competent mm-hmm. means recognizing all those gifts that they already have inside, all the right. strengths. But, but definitely you can teach a child who's been picked on a lot. You can teach that child the skills that he or she needs to stop other kids from treating them that way. Yes. I, we can teach a child that, but we also need... Um, the community, the teachers, the the people who take care of them, and peers to be not be tolerant of it and reinforce that. So I find that sometimes schools that take a no tolerance um, approach to bullying, they have concrete things set in place, um, do a, a really good job actually of bringing that to light. And that at this school, at this place, we will not tolerate it. So it's it's also about what our community is willing to support. Um, our children while they're, they're trying to um, become more competent in, in protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, shifting ground a little bit, um, what advice do you, you're, you have an office in Fairfax. You yeah. can see a small number of kids or families, yourself personally. What advice would you give to my listeners about how to find play therapists who, wherever, whatever part of the world they're in, or you know, how, how do you find a good play therapist if you think that your child maybe needs one? Okay, so, you know, professionals, actually we receive a lot of um, specialized training play therapy, so play therapists are, do advanced training to work with children in addition to actually being licensed as a mental health professional, let's say with a master's or doctorate degree, which already meets their licensing requirements. So this advanced training experience allows mental health professionals to get um, 
designations through the Association for Play Therapy, which is uh, the, the the advocate and the uh, the the, um, the body that um, kind of regulates um, who gets a registered play therapist designation or a registered play therapist supervisor designation. Like we call it the RPT or RPTS, and it's offered by the Association of Play Therapy after. Um, hours of supervision and 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 um, and classes and um, a certain number and, and hours that that you specialize in terms of um, how many how much experience you have and APT actually has a list of providers with these specialized designations on their website and um, the website's www dot a the number four p org, and you can search up there for for any one of us in your spe- uh, specific uh, location, um, and search for the the play therapists who have that specialized designation who have earned it because they've the, they've had a they've had extensive work with children already, or have you know and or gotten um, the additional classwork and supervision necessary. Um, to contribute to uh, to their experience and expertise, in addition to their mental health um, professional degree. So, okay, that's really helpful. Yeah, it, you um, can find a lot of a lot of things about play therapy on that website. Okay, we have just a couple minutes left. If there's anything that you wanted to say that you haven't said yet, you can just say that now. If you don't have anything in particular in mind, maybe you could just give me a little general advice. Parents want their kids to have good coping skills. They want their kids to grow and thrive and be happy. Do you have a general advice for parents? So whatever you want to say. Oh, great. So, you know, I, I, my existence here as a professional and both in my professional and personal life is I love it when I can contribute to or can advise parents to contribute to their child's continued growth um, to, to, to thrive and be happy because essentially children have, who are happy learn better. So happy kids really become successful people who know how to manage things. Not that everything has to be right, but they manage it. So to do that, I think parents should really start with themselves I think happy parents raise happy kids um, or parents who uh, kind of kids, – kids really watch and they learn from watching, um, from, from anywhere from coping with problems, taking out time to rest, or how to deal with conflict and challenges. They learn by observing and by, by experience. And then, you know, teach respect and acceptance um, because in accepting others, they also accept themselves and they, it helps them build friendships. And Friendships kind of help them move through, even if they have a difficult time. Uh, model kindness whenever possible. These things will help them get along with family and friends. And with practice, this will probably equate to relationships in the future, the workplace. Because everything that the child learns at this age can contribute to how they kind of navigate the world later. Um, learn that the world is, you know, the one thing that I want the kids to know is that the world is not perfect. You don't have to be perfect because life is not perfect and sometimes it, you know, it tosses the ball. 
uh, that, okay. that we don't want. So Okay, you know. that's really great advice for parents. I wish I had time to repeat it all, but I have to say goodbye now. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. It's nice talking to you, Virginia. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 